One. Hey guys, how we doing? Welcome back to another episode of Four Checking TV. I'm your host, Doug Glackey, and alongside me is Nolan Scotty Porterfield and Peyton Trollinger. And tonight we are joined by our special guest, Dwayne Steinel. Uh, Dwayne is the co- one of the co-hosts for the Two Goalies, One Mike podcast, covering all things uh, Sabres and all things goalies. And um, we wanted to have Dwayne on to talk about some Sabre stuff. Obviously, there's going to be a lot going on with uh, Jack Eichel and a couple of the, their other guys potentially getting moved. But before we get into that, Dwayne, how are you doing this evening, man? Uh, not too bad, guys. Uh, happy to be on the show. And, um, you know, weather's been beautiful lately. Uh, you know, we're trying to really enjoy this summer. But uh, obviously, there's a lot to talk about, not just in Sabres land, but in the NHL, as you mentioned before, uh, leading in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's been beautiful up here in PA recently. It was like 85 today where I was. But um, yeah, so let's uh, let's get into this. Um, obviously, the big thing is um, Jack Eichel is likely going to get traded by the Buffalo Sabres in uh, the next few weeks. Um, I know there's a lot of conflicting reports. I, a lot of people say it could happen a few days, few weeks, but uh, we'll just say it's probably going to happen right before the NHL draft because I'd imagine if you're the Sabres, you want to go try and get a pick in this draft um, as part of a package for Eichel, wouldn't you think? Um, I know the Sabres sound pretty confident about this draft class, but personally, me, um, I mean, if, unless, it's a, unless it's like a top five pick, I wouldn't mind trying to search for picks in the next two drafts. Uh, possibly from teams who you might expect to be kind of in the midst of a rebuild or, you know, possibly fish. Because there's just so much uncertainty around this draft. Um, you know, I mentioned this on my show that I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few guys taken in the fourth and fifth rounds here that end up being like, you know, top end talent because, you know, you didn't get any junior hockey this year and, nobody really had an opportunity to have like a breakout year. You know, that happens all the time in, in junior hockey where a guy will have a breakout season, really, really, you know, jump into the spotlight and, and, you know, get taken a lot higher than maybe he was predicted before the season started much like, uh, you know, Jack Quinn uh, Buffalo took him uh, out of Ottawa this past draft because of the season he had just had, uh, I believe over 50 goals. And they uh, took him at eighth overall, um, you, you know, pre-season, you know, pre, pre that OHL season, he probably wasn't getting taken in the first round. Whereas this, this past draft after, after the season he had, he was, so you didn't really get to see players, uh, you know, have that, have an opportunity to have a, a, a breakout season. And that's why I think you're going to be, we're going to be surprised that I have a lot of late round, later round picks really, uh, maybe two, three, or four years from now, kind of jumping into the spotlight, like uh, you know, like that. I just uh, uh, that's why I'm just not as enthused about maybe stockpiling picks in this draft as per se the next draft or the following. Plus, just to touch real quick, I would say if you were to like try and get a first off of somebody, you you want to probably try and get it in 22 or 23 because you never know if it could turn into White, Bedard, or Mitchkov. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, it, yeah, it's it, it, uh, it's really a crapshoot in this draft. And personally, if I again, if I'm uh, Kevin Adams, I'm not in a Jack Eichel trade again. I want top end prospects now rather than being hopeful that draft picks pan out because you know again if if you're if you're if you're making deals with a team that have the assets to make a, a, a trade for Jack Eichel, there's a good chance that their first round picks in the future might not be all that high. Um, that's mm-hmm. why I'm just not all uh, enthused about making you know a, a Jack Eichel or even a Sam Reinhardt trade for strictly picks. I, I, I need players. I need bodies back. One thing I wanted to touch on with you, Dwayne, obviously heading into the season, there was a lot of optimism around the Sabres. And for good reason, obviously the Taylor Hall signing was a very big deal. You know, he stated that he wanted to join a winning team. And 
Terry, exactly. Considering the fact that the Sabres had made the playoffs in nine years, it was kind of ironic, but their optimism was there. You know, Terry Pagula said himself that he planned that the plan was to win the Stanley Cup, not the act that they acquired Hall. How were how were you feeling, or, or can you gauge like how Sabres fans were feeling once uh, Hall was signed in the offseason? What was what were your thoughts, and what was your expectations of the team heading into this season? Uh, just like you said, we were optimistic, very optimistic. I mean, how can you not be optimistic when you have a guy like Taylor Hall agreeing to sign with your team, even if it's first for one season? And one of the big things about that too was it was a catch. I think the the criteria is a catch twenty two is even if even if it doesn't work out, you can still deal with the deadline for a first round pick, which of course that didn't work out either. Uh, scored two goals in his tenure with the Sabers. Um, yeah, it's. There was a lot of optimism. There was. Um, you, you felt so-and-so about Ralph Kruger. Um, you know, you would hope that one more year uh, under – one more year of professional hockey under the belt of Rasmus Dowling, that he would continue his development. Um, and, again, a health, you're hoping for a healthy Jack Eichel coming into the season. We didn't even get that uh, with reports of him cracking his ribs uh, preseason during training. Um, that wasn't a good way to start your season. And, um, you know, I just obviously living in a COVID world, you don't really get an opportunity to train with your team to develop any chemistry to, you know, there are a lot of factors that went into what the season was for Buffalo. And, but the big thing for me is, you know, all the, 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 the talk from Taylor Hall about wanting to win and bubble Taylor Hall came to Buffalo for one reason and one reason only I'll tell you what it was. He came to Buffalo because he saw what happened with Jeff Skinner. He saw what happened when Jeff Skinner played on Jack Uckle's wing for one season and a contract year, and he scored 40 goals. He got paid $9 million a season. So, hence, that's why Taylor Hall and his agent decided Buffalo was the spot, even though reports came out that Boston was in negotiations with Hall before he even signed with Buffalo. But there were too many moves that needed to be made cap-wise to fit him underneath the cap, so he decided Buffalo was the spot. Yeah, it had nothing to do with winning and losing. It had to do with money, and Taylor Hall wanted to get paid. Taylor Hall wanted to go play with the best center available, you know, for, uh, out of all the teams probably looking, and was looking for an opportunity to b- get the biggest payday possible, and he saw that with Jack Eichel. Obviously, we all know how that worked. And just building off of that, obviously, you touched on it with Jeff Skinner, you know, being if should this Eichel trade actually happen, Correct me if I'm wrong. He'll be the highest paid player on your team with that $9 million cap hit. And there were some nights this season where he was playing on the fourth line or even healthy scratched a couple times. I remember looking up the numbers. I think between Hall, Eichel, and Skinner, they're they're being paid a combined $27 million, and they scored 11 goals between the three of them. Obviously, it's got to be frustrating when that, uh, you know, when you're investing that much money into players and, you know, they're not really performing as advertised, I guess. Obviously, with Eichel, it's a different story because of the injury. But with the other two guys, it just seemed like things didn't come together when they needed it to. Yeah, Jack has had, a, you know, issue staying healthy since last season. You know, he went on that tear. I think it was like a 17 or 18 game point streak that ended. Uh, pretty much they all would said that, you know, he got sick is why he had to miss the game, some, some type of illness. But then he had an oblique injury. And, uh, you know, that, you know, his season started. He was on an MVP He's played MVP level hockey uh, that particular season. And I don't think I'm, you know, being disrespectful to players like Drysdale or McDavid by saying that at that moment in the season, he was probably the best player in the world. He, there wasn't anybody playing as good as Jack Eichel at that time. He was put the team on his back and, you know, literally just, te- you know, tearing apart. I think in that stretch, he had a four goal game. Um, just playing unbelievable MVP level hockey. Um, then that oblique injury happens, you know, the season ended the way it did very, again, another disappointing season for this, for, you know, for the Sabres coming to the next season, the injury to his ribs. And then just, you know, you had an okay start to the season. We get to that New Jersey devils, uh, COVID scare that were, uh, you know, that there were positive COVID cases amongst the Devils team, but they still played the game anyway. And then Buffalo gets COVID and they're out for two weeks. At that point, we were a 500 hockey team. And then everything just went downhill from there. And that's when the losing streak started. I think it was 12 games in a row before they finally fired Ralph. Um, 
you know, yeah, it's, it, it, it's bad. It, you know, you, you have so much money tied up and just a few players, but you know, in terms of Jeff Skinner, um, ever since Ralph Kruger took over, that guy was in his doghouse for whatever reason, because he never consistently played on the line with Jack Eichel under Ralph Kruger last season uh, or the, the previous season, it was on the second line to start with, it was like a makeshift second line where Marcus Johansson was your second line center. And he wasn't a true center. He, he was a guy who was brought in, who expected, they, they expected to play center, who reality of it all had his most success throughout his career playing on the wing. Um, and you, you expected him to produce at the same pace with in that situation. It didn't work at all. Uh, you know, then this, this past season, you, you, you go, you sign Eric Stahl and then you don't even play Skinner with either Eichel or Stahl. He's in the third or fourth line, like you said, and it was just pathetic. And you were hope you're, you know, it wasn't, you know, Skinner finally started to perform and started to score goals after Granado took over the team. But like, you know, you can't pay a guy $9 million, you know, give him a $9 million payday and then not put him out of line with Jack Eichel. I mean, at that point when you're paying that guy, that kind of money, you want to try and get the most bang for your buck. Well, the best bang for your buck is playing him with Jack Eichel. And for whatever reason, Ralph Kruger just refused to do it. And um, he essentially neutered some of the best things that were coming into the season that were about this team. You know, Rasmus Dahlin's uh, game, you know, started to regress immensely. Um, he did not look like the same guy we saw in his rookie season um, or, you know, the same offensive dynamo defenseman that we drafted. He, he was just a shell of himself. Um, you know, just, you know, obviously Jack was hurt, but, you know, uh, you know, other, other, you know, you saw what happened with Taylor Hall's game. The guy just couldn't get it going. Um, you know, a lot of people said near the end, he is kind of mailing it in. Um, I mean, not that air, you know, just a lot of the offensive talent, offensively talented players, in this team, they just weren't showing up under, under his system. And it was like, he was trying to, he was trying to force a system of defensive hockey, much like maybe you see, you know, the Islanders play, but a lesser version of it, you know, of defensively minded hockey, but you don't have defensively minded hockey players. You have a bunch of gifted offensively talented hockey players where you should be playing a run and gun system. And he just wouldn't do that. He absolutely refused to. I don't understand why. And he lost his job for because of it and deservedly. So, um, you know, you bring in Granado and it would have, it would have been nice to see what Granado could have done with this team with a healthy Jack Eichel too, because um, after the season, it was – I was actually very optimistic about this team and this roster as it – not as it sat, but mostly as it sat after this past season because for the first time in a long time, you had depth at the most important position on any team, and that's at center. We hadn't had this kind of depth down the middle since probably the day we lost Drury and Briere over a decade ago. You had Eichel as your first-line center. They were playing Sam at center, and which is where you drafted him to play to begin with, and he was proving to be, uh, you know, a, a reliable two-way center. And then you had Dylan Cousins or Casey Middlestat, who, as you know, you could slot in as your third-line center. And Casey, I think, I think Granado uh, made his case to be coached just on Casey Middlestat's resurgence or, you know, rebirth of Casey Middlestat under Granado because he started scoring goals and started to finally look like a top six player under, under Granado. And I think that right there alone should really, you know, put Granado at the front of the line. Um, if this is where the direction you're going to go in terms of, you know, the team and the roster makeup, uh, if you're planning on moving away from Jack Eichel and, and putting guys like Casey Middlestat and Dylan cousins as the leaders of this team, that's a good start. You know, what you were getting out of those players under Granado. But uh, it, it's just, it's just, you know, it's really, really disheartening to see what this team could have been because you finally had depth at that one position, and it's something that any team, and you, it, the proof is, you know, playing tonight. Any team that wants to sustain success in this in this league, you need depth down the middle because it's so much easier to get goals from average wingers when you have great centers and the other way around. And it, 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 you, you, it's been proven time and time again through teams like the Blackhawks through their runs, uh, LA through, during their two cup runs, um, you know, Pittsburgh, especially Pittsburgh. I mean, how many guys have gotten big paydays because they played on the wings of Sidney Crosby, but like Connor Sheary is the best example. Mm -hmm. So, 
Um, that's just my, again, it sucks to see what this team could have been had, um, you know, we, you know, built a proper roster around the core players that we're probably now going to be without next season. One thing I wanted to touch upon, because, you know, one thing we always like to reminisce about as fans, usually we have things, we have like a specific game, like we remember where we were whenever Pittsburgh won their cups and everything that's gone on with this franchise. I want to ask you about uh, the 99 final, because obviously none of us were alive for that one. We didn't get to watch that one live and in person. What were you, what were you, uh, where were you at? And what were your, what was going through your mind whenever it's game six and triple overtime and Brett Hall scores that goal? What was your, uh, what was like the thought process? What are you doing? 99. I was 12 years old. And I think I was the only one still awake in my house when Hall scored that goal. It was a late one. And, um, it, you know, it, it was obviously depressing. Um, the, the fact, and this would be, well, obviously way, way before social media. So the fact that his skate was in the crease and that they made the wrong call wasn't really brought to light to the general public until the very following morning or yeah, the following day or maybe the day after when people started to really realize like, Hey, his skate was in the crease. That shouldn't have been allowed. Um, I think it was the next day. And um, I actually, it's funny. I actually went around my neighborhood with a, with a big no, uh, loose leaf notebook and tried to get the petition going to send to Gary Bettman to uh, have them replay the game or to, uh, to uh, reverse the call. Um but yeah, it was it was very disheartening, man. But this t- this city was so proud of that team. I remember we had a huge, huge rally right around City Hall when they came back. You know, you know, a few days later, uh, to thank the Sabers for this, the the run they had on, and that's when the no goal moniker was started by Lindy Ruff. But um, it, it sucked, man, because then the biggest reason it sucked is because you had. I don't even think it's arguably, I think you had the best goalie that ever lived in that. And he was playing it within his prime and you just refused to spend the money uh, to build in front of him. Um, and I think my thought process ever since then has always been, you don't spend money on goaltending, you spend money on goals. And uh, you know, I, I, as much as, as, as much as not having consistent goaltending has hurt this team uh, goal scoring is where we've hurt the most. And, you know, I think it's been proven time and time again through teams like Chicago with Crawford and before Crawford, Antti Niemi. I never thought that, like, goal, elite, there was elite goaltending in Pittsburgh, if, even as great as Fleury was. Uh, they still won two more cups with Matt Murray, and Matt Murray isn't, you know, an elite, a greater elite goaltender. He's average, in my opinion, at best. Johnny Quick in L.A., you know, he as great of an unbelievable goalie as he is, He's never put up a consistent elite numbers throughout his career. Um, he's always been like a great playoff goalie. Um, they never paid him an insane amount of money. And same, you know, it's, you look at, again, Montreal tonight, they're down, I think it's right now, 2 nothing uh, in the finals. This is their first finals exper- uh, finals uh, appearance with Carrier Price as their goalie, and they're paying him $10 million a season. You know, Bobrovsky down, in ten, that, which is even funnier, $10 million Bobrovsky's making down in Florida and they he didn't even start during the playoffs. He, he got pulled, he got yanked two separate occasions. I think it was, you you, know, you can't, you just don't pay an insane amount of money for a goalie. You pay, you pay to build in front of them. And you know, you had the best goalie in the world in Dominic Kashuk and you, you refuse to build in front of him. Absolutely refuse. And it sucks, man, because that team could, you know, that, that team was so good in terms of, you know, once you even got like a one or two goal lead, shutting things down defensively and just letting Dominic Hasek just shut the door on teams. Um, it would have been nice to, you know, have a bona fide goal scorer in that team. I know we had Miro Shatan, but he kind of disappeared during the playoffs that year. You know, he, you know, he was kind of a one dimensional guy, but you know, the, the last great hockey player before Jack Eichel, this team ever had like bona fide elite, you know, you know, franchise player was, you know, probably Pat LaFontaine. And that's how long it's been, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so 99, 99 hurt. But I think if you were to ask me, 2006 hurt much more when we lost to Carolina in game seven because that team was more built to win a Stanley Cup than that 99 team. And I think if 
weren't for all the injuries Buffalo had suffered, and which was a lot. If you look at that roster from that game, I think we had like three or four AHL defensemen playing that night. And then the, the day before, Jay McKee gets a freak, freak staff infection uh, and just completely uh, pretty much, you know, derails, the, you know, his season and he can't play in game seven. And had we won, had we won that game, um, without a doubt, we would have absolutely rolled, rolled Edmonton in the finals. So I think that one hurt a little bit more than 99. You kind of touched on it with, uh, you know, you brought up Briere, Drury, uh, Hashik. It seems like with the Sabres, they have this history of either signing guys or trading away guys, and then they end up doing better or just not living up to the hype whenever they come into Buffalo, for example. Obviously, you trade away a guy like Ryan O'Reilly to St. Louis. He goes on to win a cup and a con smite. Uh, the Ville Leno and the Matt Molson deals probably come back to haunt you guys from time to time. You let go of uh, Danny Greer and Chris Jury, and you, you had two outstanding goalies, like you said, like Dominic Hasek and Ryan Miller, who were in the primes of their careers, and you couldn't capitalize on it. Do you think it's just a – is it a Buffalo thing? Or, like, what do you think goes on? Like, just – does the team not functionally just not function properly whenever the, the players show up or what do you think the, uh, the deal is? It's, it's an ownership thing. Um, hundred percent. You, you got to spend money at, at some point. Like I get it. Like you can try and play money ball all you want, but at the end of the day, you need to spend money uh, and keep these players who perform so well for you. Well, a perfect example would be in the Hashik era when we had Michael Pekka, he held out for an entire season. And we ended up trading him in the Tim Con. I think it was a Tim Conley deal. as before Tim Conley really came on to, you know, be a, you know, a force, like a force for this rot for this team and this franchise. But uh, Michael Peck, I just won a Selkie trophy and he's held out because he felt like he wasn't being get, getting offered a, a, you know, a respectable, respectable extension. And he held out an entire season. And that year after we traded him, we probably had a much better roster when we lost to Pittsburgh in the, in the semifinals to get to the finals on a uh, so-and-so goal from Darius Kasparaitis. And, you know, that was the end of the Hashik era. It's when he got dealt to Detroit, you know, he wanted to go somewhere to win a cup. And I didn't personally blame him because it's, you know, you can tell from that ownership isn't going to spend the money when you can't even pay Michael Pekka. And you expect, you, you expect this guy to sit around and, you know, hope and wait for a cup. No, it's, it wasn't going to happen. You fast forward to the days of Breer and Jury, you know, they're captains. Find a way to sign them both. Do whatever you have to to keep them both. Galasano didn't want to spend that kind of money, and he ended up losing them both. Um, and then overpaying Thomas Vanek after he's offered by Edmonton. Um, you know, I, you, 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 there's no way you could, you know, not sign that offer sheet because if you would have lost Drury, Breer, and Thomas Vanek in the same offseason, you're probably losing your job. I've, I, you, you start can't lose that much talent in one off season. And then fast forward. Now it's under the Pagulas and it's just an absolute, you know, we're the Cleveland Browns, of the NHL. It's just like, you know, you can't retain players. You can't, you, 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 you can't, you know, you, you're gifted a guy like Jack Eichel. You have how many, you know, top end picks and Sam Reinhart, Rostis Dahlin, Jack Eichel, and you can't seem to put together the right roster and you have these owners who apparently don't care about money. Well, you know, why can't we get it right then? It start, it starts at the top before you, I mean, the onus is on the players hundred percent, but it starts at the top and you, you can't build the right type. I know that's the overused term, but you, you've, you've been unable to build the right culture since those mid two thousands teams that had Miller, Breer and jury on them. Like you just, the culture is just shot. You know, it's one thing when the on-ice product is, you know, sloppy to – is just one way to put it. But when you start slipping off the ice, that's another huge no-no when it comes to the fan base. And I know that's been a problem with Buffalo in uh, recent years. Obviously, you know, you see alumni are having their name misspelled on jerseys. Like Dave Andrichuk's name was misspelled on one of his jerseys. And I get it, it's a tough name, but, you know, you got to get that one right. You know, some of the alumni are wearing knockoff jerseys. I remember seeing pictures of Michael Pekka and Matt Barnaby wearing the, the red and black jerseys, like the one you got hanging up on your wall back there, and they were total knockoffs. They had Danny Garrett, a turkey drive, wearing a knockoff as well. It's just like, you know, do you, is it embarrassing? How Or just how embarrassing is it when you see stuff like that happening, you know, with this, with this franchise, just seeing how 
even off the ice, they're not even representing themselves well in their community. It's, it sucks because, you know, we are a proud community. You know, you look at the Bills Mafia. You know, we're a very proud community. We care about each other. And the city, it can be so, like, you're not going to find a better city in terms of, you know, just hockey and football when both these teams are good at the same time. And it's been a very, very long time since the, both these teams have been both good at the same time. Um, but when, but, but when the Sabres are good, the city is really, really special. Um, all those things you see, like the, uh, the party in the plaza stuff you see teams do nowadays outside the arena that started here in Buffalo. You know, you go back to those, you know, those teams that were making, pre- you know, winning the president's trophy and waking cup runs with, again, Drury, Briere, Miller, and Vanek, Roy, all of them, uh, that all, that all started, we were putting 10,000 people outside of a packed arena every single home game. Um, even during the regular season, you had thousands of people out there before the games, um, you know, and to see the fans taken for granted the way it has been, has been very, very depressing because it's not that hard. I, mean, I know winning solves everything and it does to a certain respect, but to just assume that no matter how bad things get, that we're just going to keep coming back because we love hockey that's what, that's the stuff that really hurts because, you know, we do deserve respect, man. It is our money that we're spending. We work hard for our money. We want to be respected, put on a good show for us. Um, even if, even if you can't get your shit together on the ice all the time, like at least treat us for the in-game experience, like, like, you, like you care. And kind of building off your answer there, you might've just answered it for me, but I'll ask anyway, do you think that Buffalo Sabres fans suffer the most out of any fans in the national hockey league? Because when, when you look at the Leafs and Canucks, you know, obviously they've been hard, had a hard time getting over the hump. They haven't done it in 50 years, but they still have good young cores that are going to be around for a while. You know, the Oilers are kind of the same way, but, you know, they've had three of the last five MVPs, and it's probably going to be four of the last six after this season as well. The Canucks also had the Sedin Twins before this. So, like, do you think that the Sabres fans suffer the most out of any fans in the NHL? Um. I mean, you, you look at where we rank in, like, in viewership every single, at least for the last decade and during the playoffs, and our team isn't even, like, in the playoffs. We're usually top three, top five. It's how much we care about the sport and how much we love hockey here um, to an extent where we're willing to, you know, spend, commit that much time to just the sport and uh, when our team's not even playing. I mean, yeah, it sucks, man. It, you know, we, we're tortured because we, we don't just lose normally. We, make, we, it, we do it in dramatic fashion. We made it an art form. Like, we've become a punchline. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think that, you know, I'm being disrespectful of other fan bases by saying that we are the most tortured. Yeah, I, I'm, I agree with that. And speaking of tortured, um, how do you feel about – your team being unable to win the draft lottery in years where there's a generational center? Um, I mean, I know it's the luck of the draw. I can't imagine, you know, you know, I can't imagine the NHL was too happy about the Oilers winning McDavid because now you're in a situation where you can't really put him in the spotlight because there's a yeah. massive majority of hockey fans on the East coast who aren't willing to stay up till 10, 11 o'clock at night to watch him. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does suck. Um, you wish that, you know, you wish that, you know, after a season where you intentionally tanked that you got the prize that you were tanking for, but here's the thing. We were happy with Jack Eichel as much as it sucked that we didn't win McDavid. Like Eichel was hands down in any other draft, the first overall pick, like, right. He, you know, he was the best college hockey player since Paul Correa. I, I think he broke uh, his freshman record for points. I think it was, um, you know, as a true freshman, um, just the kid was unbelievable. And he is unbelievable. He's only 24 years old. Um, you just have to be able to manage, uh, manage the core players that you do have correctly. And we didn't, and it sucks. You know, I know you want to win the draft lottery when you're there and you think you should, but I mean, you can't depend on that kind of stuff, man. You can't, you, 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 you know, you have to take what you have and it's not like what we had was bad. 
You had mm-hmm. Sam Reinhart. You had you have Jack Eichel. You had Ross. You won the draft lottery for who was arguably said to be the best defensive player to come out of a draft since Hedman. Um, right. You just you have all these pieces and just unable to put the proper pieces around them, and you make poor roster decisions. And um, you know, you, 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 you know, I know, I know his career here, you know, didn't go very well. But then, you know, you had a starting goalie in my opinion, and Robin Leonard, and you let him walk. You, you know, it's it sucked. Um, and you had no plan in place for goaltending after he left. You know, you just hoped that Linus Olmark was the guy and that Carter Hutton could be a bridge and that didn't end up working out. And then you find out you know, during last season that Carter Hutton had issues with his eyes that needed to be corrected with surgery. You never addressed it. You know, like it's, there's so much stuff that went wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, I just don't think you can blame losing a draft lottery on it because if you're picking in the top five of any draft, you should pick a good player. Um, yeah. You should have a, an impactful player, whether it's not his first season in the next two two years, and you know you just can't be mad about you know <laughs> what ifs. It's what you have now, and we had a good core of hockey players. We've had a good core of hockey players. You couldn't take advantage of it when they were on entry level deals. You went, you made the moves for Ryan O'Reilly and Evander Kane, which were good moves at the time, and then you let those guys walk. You know you trade. You made possibly one of the worst trades in NHL history with Ryan O'Reilly. It could have ended. It couldn't have ended worse than more than the way it did with Buffalo with Ryan O'Reilly. The guy went on, went to win a cup, won the Selkie or not the won the Conn Smythe. Like you know, and here we are looking like you know, like a bunch of idiots. You know, like we got Tage Thompson, we got Berglund who dipped on us. You know, lost. Mm-hmm. You know, went back to Sweden. Didn't even finish off his his contract with Buffalo. Vladimir Saboka, whose career with Buffalo was a joke, and then. You know, Ryan Johnson, who was, I think, he, the, that, who the pick was used on, uh, a prospect we have in our system, that's to be seen. But it doesn't matter how good that guy ends up being. It's still not going to equate to what we lost with Ryan O'Reilly. So, you know, you can't blame it on losing draft lotteries. It does sting. But you still got good players with the picks that you had, and you just haven't been able to capitalize on the players that you already did have. Yeah, and everything you just said about the whole Ryan O'Reilly experience – it kind of what it's what creates like worry in the back of my mind for whenever the uh, team is trying to trade both Eichel and Sam this summer. Like, are they going to be able to cash out? You know, I, I, I hear a lot of people saying that, like, obviously you'd expect them be, to be able to get a haul out of Jack Eichel. But also a lot. I've seen people say, like, since he wants to get his neck done, it might impact. It's going to impact value. And how do you how how do you navigate that because it's like you're already in a crapshoot anyway because you're trading a superstar player in a league where superstar players never get market value and now he wants like experimental neck surgery i just feel like there's no way that the sabers win in this scenario well you don't win a jack uncle trade no matter what like no mm-hmm. doesn't matter what who you trade jack uncle to you don't win that trade you lose it 10 times out of 10 because you'll never get the value healthy or not healthy of Jack Eichel back from a team willing to make a deal for him. It's just, it's, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but name me a time where a player of Jack Eichel's caliber was traded. Well, name the last time a player of Jack Eichel's caliber was traded. Very difficult to, um, cause you just don't trade players like that away from your team because, you know, again, you, there are teams that lose intentionally to get a player like Jack Eichel. Um, uh, so you don't win that trade. There's no winning it. Um, but, you know, the next thing does hurt a lot, but I think that the procedure they're talking about has performed on quite a few, uh, few UFC fighters, Chris Wyden being the most notable and it worked really well in his career. And he even, he even promotes it. In a, he has a video of there of him giving uh, promoting the surgery at the particular surgery he had done, which would be the same one that Jack Echo would have to get. Um, and that's a sport where, you know, people are intentionally trying to punch you in the head, which is connected to your neck. So I think if, if there's that much support for a surgery like that, even if it's never been performed on a professional hockey player, I think that's why Jack feels comfortable with getting it. Um, I think he was frustrated because he's a competitor who wants to get back on the ice and start training for the next season. You got to think this guy hasn't been healthy for quite some time and he wants to get healthy and he wants to get, 
his body ready for the next season to compete. And he was essentially being told no. And I think I don't blame the Sabres for that because at the same time, this is a $10 million investment that you have. And, you know, you don't know much about the procedure that he wants. So you don't want, you don't want to take that. Cause at the end of the day, players are these players, as much as they are human beings, they're assets to every team. They're, 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 mm-hmm. they're your property, they're your, they're assets. And allowing a player to go get a surgery that a, you don't know if you have no, you have no history of it being performed on an NHL player um, could devalue that asset a lot. So I understand from the Sabres perspective, why they're doing what they're doing. I understand from Jack's perspective, why he wants to do what he wants to do. It's his body. If he thinks that's the best course of action for him and his body, then, you know, I think that's what the Sabres should allow him to do, you know, but again, I, I get both sides of the fence. Um, now, in terms of his trade value, I personally, if it's me, I would rather them wait it out and let him get healthy and play next season. And if see where see where the team is, if they're playing well and he wants to stay and things change, then so be it. If not, then well, you're trading a healthy Jack Eichel who is probably performing at a high level. Um, you know, doing what he's proven to be able to do in the past because even with broken ribs last season he still had 18 points in 20 games. Even with just two goals, the guy, the guy, you know, 75%, if I think that even that's being generous, because you know, if anyone who was watching him consistently could see that he wasn't playing with the same intensity every night that you're used to seeing him play. Uh, It was most notable on the power play, uh, whatever he shot from the, from the playoff, from the playoff dot, he likes to sit on. Um, Just didn't have the same power and the same swagger in his game. Um, it, it, so it does suck. And I do think the value won't be the you know, value that you do want won't be there, but it wasn't going to be there no matter what. So, but I do think even in this situation, I think Jack is going to be fine next season, no matter which course they take. I think teams should, you know, do know that. And I don't think it should devalue him enough to the point where you're not getting at least an A prospect back in the deal. Now let's talk about Sam Reinhardt. Um, I know I'm in the uh, thinking of Sam can get traded anywhere and probably be the number one center for the team he's traded for. Um, what, if you were Kevin Adams, what would you be looking to get out of him? Well, his value has never been higher than this right now. Um, I think I think you try and maximize that value, especially because he performed at that level playing at center. Um, mm-hmm. I think we learned through Jeff Skinner that player you, when, you, when you pay for goal-scoring wingers that – the value of that isn't always the same as you would from a center. I would rather pay, you know, seven, you know, $7 million a year for, for Sam Reinhart, who's going to get me 60 points as my second line center than I am going to pay $7 million for Sam Reinhart. Who's going to get me 60, 65 points as my first line winger. Um, I think his value is so much higher at center. uh, And because how well he performed at center, that's why I think you can't fail at maximizing that value because there are teams that are going to be willing to pay a lot for Sam Reinhardt this offseason in a trade, 100%, without a doubt, because of what he did at center this past season. So I think it's very intriguing. I think, you're going to, I think you're, you have a better chance at getting a fair value for the player with Sam Reinhardt than you do with Jack Eichel. And I think, you know, you're going to come away with a nice return if, if Kevin Adams does it right for, in a trade for Sam. Yeah, and I think either way with like in this scenario where you do move both this summer, I think you haven't you'd have enough added ammunition to uh, be cooking with fire in this rebuild, especially going into a a draft where you're going to draft Owen power first overall. Correct. Um, You know, Owen, uh, Owen power looks like to be an absolute stud defenseman. I don't care Mm -hmm. what some people seem to think. Apparently they think that, you know, you know, he might not be ready for the NHL. Maybe he isn't. I personally think that this team shouldn't rush anybody they draft at first overall in the NHL because you don't have, um, without Jack and Sam, if that is the, what ends up happening, you don't have a team that's ready to win next season. So why force a player, no matter who it is or where they're picked, into a situation where they might be brought into a losing, a losing culture, a losing locker room? Absolutely not. Don't do that to them. Just let them play another year at Michigan. Let him let him, you know, compete for a national championship. 
you know, before, uh, you know, before Michigan was forced to drop out of the frozen four tournament because of COVID um, they were ranked number two in the nation. They had an unbelievable season Buffalo actually has a player already rostered uh, on Michigan, Eric Portillo, a goaltender who had a phenomenal freshman year at a 1.67 goals against average. Um, let, let, let whoever it is, whether it's Maddie Beneers or if it's Owen Power, let that player, you know, stay at Michigan and learn what it's like to win a national championship or compete for one, because I think that's much more beneficial to their overall development than force them into a situation in Buffalo where, you know, you could really hinder their development because you bring them into a bad culture or, you know, a, a lo- into a losing locker room. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And when it comes to guys like who had a high draft stock and were drafted high in drafts who went back to college, especially defensemen, first guys to come to mind, you think of Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. And look at what those extra years at their respective universities did for their development. Um, I know McCarr was able to come in for the abs in the playoffs and just be an absolute monster. And Quinn Hughes was incredible his rookie year as well. So why not just take that route with Owen Power, Matty Beneers, whichever one uh, ends up being a saber. I think we, we lean more Owen Power at this point. Wouldn't you agree? hundred percent. I'm all for bringing in uh, another, you know, you can't, there's one thing you can't teach in, in hockey and that size and at six foot six, the kid is an absolute man child. He's already built already, you know, even if he, even if you want him to put on another 10 to 15 pounds of muscle, I mean, he's at 220 already, I think it's 220, 230. So, mm-hmm. you know, that kid's body is just about ready for the NHL. Maybe developmentally you want him to be a little bit further ahead, which is fine. Let him stay in college, let him you know, play on a winning hockey team, you know, that's going to compete for a national, national title, or, you know, I'm not, again, I, I don't think he, you could ask him to have him play in the AHL. I'm not sure how that works, but um, maybe you put him in Rochester. I don't know, but um, I am all ready for, to see or hear them call Owen power uh, at, at number one overall in this next draft, because everything I've seen, you know, from the people I've talked to, the kid is going to be an absolute stud defenseman hundred percent. And the thought of, him on a blue line with Rasmus Dahlin in the future, you know, that really, you know, that does make, that does make a Sabres fan drool a little bit because, you know, I, am a firm believer of building your team offensively from your blue line, having guys that can carry the puck to the zone. You see it so many times, you see it with Tampa, you know, with Victor Hedman, how often he starts to rush from his own zone. Um, you, you know, you've seen it in the past with our teams too. And we haven't had that here in Buffalo. Uh, in quite some time to have more than one or two guys on, on your team at a time that can really start the rush with their defensemen. So um, I'm very interested to see, you know, where Buffalo is able to take a player like Owen Power in his development and turn him into an uh, NHL hockey player. Uh, and it's also scary at the same time because we haven't really had a bit good history of developing hockey players here in Buffalo. We have a very thin, very probably the thinnest scouting staff in the entire National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. So um, I, uh, I hope that, you know, regardless of who they pick, again, probably going to be power, um, that they just take the right steps in developing him and don't rush him into this lineup. Yeah. One more Sabres-related question. Um, apparently teams have interest in Rasmus Ristolainen. Are yep. you, like, ready to just get him the hell out of there and just everybody's on? Everybody's ready for him to be gone. It's just – and the guy, here's the thing about rest. Like I will never take away how much of a competitor that guy is because as bad as things have been here in Buffalo, he, he's been here through all of it. He has, you know, come to this, you know, he has come into this every single season in shape, ready to play. The guy, the guy is, you know, possibly the hardest working player on this team in the off season. And, you know, he does compete hard. It's just, there are things about his game that I don't think, it maybe again, maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe it's, you know, a, a guy who just nearly desperately needs change in scenery, but he just, you know, season in and season out, he just makes dumb boneheaded plays, you know, instead of keeping it simple, you know, you know, eat, make it, he always tries to take the more difficult play out of the zone rather than the simple up the boards type of play. Um, it's, you know, you, you, you kind of talk about him in sense like, Oh, he brings grit. He brings physical play. He hits, I'm like, yeah, but like, where has that gotten us throughout his career? It's gotten us literally nowhere. So 
I'm just the type of guy who's ready to move on. I, I wish him the best. I really do. I think he's a, he's a hell of an athlete. I think he's, uh, you know, you know, I think that the, the talent could be there. I just don't think it's ever going to happen for him here in Buffalo. Yeah. And real quick, I was just going to say what goes on with Rasmus. It reminds me a lot of what happened with Jack Johnson early in his career where did a lot of good things, was physical, could lay the body, but just couldn't put it all together. And I feel like there's a chance he could be on that trajectory where he just kind of fizzles out at some point here in the next like two to three years or so. Similar yeah. how Johnson did. Yeah, uh, I, I, I see the Jack Johnson comparisons quite often, and I don't disagree. Um, he did show flashes early on his career that he could be, uh, you know, a very capable first line defenseman. Um, but the consistency just isn't there. Um, you know, the low hockey IQ plays he consistently makes, it's never been like an injury thing. I think Jack Johnson, that was more of an injury thing too. He suffered a, he suffered a pretty bad injury at one point in his career and it kind of put, hindered his, you know, hindered him quite a bit. It's never been that with, with, with Ristolainen and it's just been, you know, the guy just – I think losing does take a toll. Consistently losing takes a toll. And um, I think that's part of it. And, again, I, I wish the guy the best. I hope that if this is his last year – if this was his last year in Buffalo, that wherever he goes, he does succeed. Never wish the guy ill will. You know, he's always been a team first player. Uh, I think that he did value his time here in Buffalo. But I think, you know, he is the type of player that would possibly perform a little bit better with a change of scenery. Yeah, I agree. Now, we're going to move on here real quick. Uh, we're going to do a quick Stanley Cup final preview. Um, game one's going on right now as we speak. It's currently second intermission, and it's 2-1 Lightning. Yep. But um, Stanley Cup predictions, guys, what are we thinking? I'll just go quick. I'm going to go Habs and Six. I really think this is the uh, year that they get it done. And, uh, you know, Carey Price finally gets his due as one of the best goalies of um, – our lifetime. Is it coming over to me next? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I'm going to take Tampa and six. Um, I think that team is just too good. Um, as great as Carey Price is. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a believer in Carey Price. You know, I, I love, I think he's one of the best goalies in the world. I think he has been for quite some time, but I've, I've got, I'm not an advocate of paying your goaltenders a ton of money. And I think Montreal, you know, could have taken a different route in terms of, building a winning hockey team. Granted, I, you know, they are in the finals, but this is, this is with Carey Price as your goalie. This is the first time you've seen a final with him on your team. You know, a guy who's won gold medals for Canada, a guy who has been consistently at the in, in top of the league in terms of numbers for goaltending for a really long time, but you just haven't ever been able to put the right team in front of them. And um, I just don't think this roster in Montreal stacks up good enough against the loaded team in, 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 uh, in Tampa, you know, Braden point, just having an, uh, you know, playing like an league MVP right now, uh, Kucherov Stamkos, I think with 17 points here in the playoffs. Yeah. Victor had, you know, Sergeyev, there's so many elite hockey players on that team. And just, I think, I think at the end of the day, I, I just don't see them beating Tampa. I, I see, I see them, you know, you know, keeping keeping some games close, but at the end of the day, especially with Vasilevsky and Matt performing the way he has this this season, it's just going to be a very, very, very uphill climb for Montreal. Every single night they play, they play Tampa. So I'm going to take Tampa Bay in six games. I'm with you there, Dwayne. I'm also going to take Tampa in six, mainly because of the fact that they have to face Andre Vasilevsky. You know, through the through the playoffs, you can make the argument that Montreal really hasn't faced, you know elite goaltending per se. I don't know if you can, obviously in the first round they faced against Jack Campbell. Most recently they had to go up against uh, Flurry and Leonard who didn't have their best showings, of course. And then of course they just, they, I mean, they just, they don't see it happening. I don't think they can pull it together offensively enough. And that's why I think Tampa is, like you said, they have too many weapons on their team. So I see the lightning taking this one in six. I personally, I think as much as I really want the Habs to win it, I'm going to go with Tampa Bay, and I think Tampa Bay is actually going to win it in seven games. I think the Habs will take it uh, just one more game, simply just because I think the Lightning are just too deep of a team. They, a roster, it's just you take one look at it, and it's just 
so much talent, and I, I think that they can go back to back. So I, yeah, <laughs> I think Lightning's gonna win the cup. All right, there you have it. Um, How about that had a hair there, by the way. How about that? Yeah, yeah guys got yeah. some phenomenal <laughs> yeah. lettuce, buddy. You guys yeah. got some phenomenal lettuce. I love it. I, I got my hair. My hair is up right now, but it goes probably down to my armpits. It's uh it's a, it's a tall task to even get it out, but yeah, that's some, that's some phenomenal lettuce, man. Thank you, sir. Thank no you, problem. sir. Yeah, this is all all natural. This is what I've been hiding for twenty years, nineteen <laughs> years. It's fantastic. He literally just started growing his hair out during COVID because, like, uh, salons and barber shops weren't open. We all just told him to keep it. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've had quite some probably about four or five years now. I've been keeping it pretty long i cut it and i grew it out again it's i mean i could probably cut easily a third uh about 12 to 13 inches off my hair right now and it'd still be down but near my ears yeah i'm uh pretty long i'm in the process of trying to grow my hair out my uh, cousin's getting married in september and i want to have like really really sick flow going uh for that wedding so <laughs> see like but, uh, my hair my hair like it grows out like it gets it grows out and it grows like super thick so it, it gets interesting. Yeah, that's good stuff. All right. So we're going to move on here. We're going to talk about all the stuff going on with the Chicago Blackhawks and their organization because it is, it's, it's really, really bad. And I'm going to pass this over to Scotty because I know that he has like a bullet point list of everything that he wants to discuss. So Scotty, take it away. So just to basically recap everything for those who haven't heard the news, in 2010, following the Blackhawks' second-round victory, Brad Aldrich, then video coach of the team, got two players drunk and tried to perform oral sex on them. Uh, one, one anonymous player came up with a quote that said, every guy on the team knew, every single guy. The players had to watch as management did nothing. They had to see him at the celebration on the ice. They had to see him at the parade. And another player went on to say, that doesn't bother me that they let him take pictures with the cup, the 2010 Blackhawks player said. What bothers me is they fired him, but they didn't take it to the cops. They let him get a job with an under-18 team. They let him go work with minors. They let that happen. Since the allegations against Aldris have surfaced, one staff member said he received sexually suggestive text messages in 2010 while working for the Blackhawks. Three Notre Dame players said he tried to get too close to the players during his time there when coaching teenagers. Aldridge also invited players to what was called, what's referred to as a mac and cheese parties where they would go to his house and watch hockey. In my opinion, everybody who knew about this assault case on the Blackhawks and kept it secret should honestly be banned, in my opinion. I mean, this is- I can cheese my ass. <laughs> it is not even like, it's just unfathomable to think that something like this happened for as long as it did and no one spoke up. No one- thought, okay, this is an issue. We need to take it, you know, to law enforcement. And this is now it's finally coming out 11 years later. And I mean, it's just, it just mind boggling. This is another quote from uh, Brent Sopel, who was a member of that 2010 team. He said himself, the front office staff should be in jail. The NHL is showing their true colors. Gary Bettman doesn't care about anyone but himself. So, I mean, that's right. There's a pretty damning quote. I mean, you look at the fact that Stan Bowman, who I believe was the GM of the Blackhawks, he's still there. They knew this was going on and they didn't do anything about it. They let this guy get a job to go work with teenagers, work with minors. I mean, it's just, it's sickening to think about it really is. And, you know, it's the worst part about it too, is the fact that, you know, just the fact that everyone kept it under wraps is what really is annoying me. It's really just, you know, not sitting well with me. It, it, this goes beyond management. This goes like, like the anonymous player said, every guy knew. So that includes players. That includes coaches. Everybody knew this was going on. So I want to know why a bunch of grown men decided, Hey, you know what? We need something needs to be stepped up and said about this. You know, so, like if, if management isn't going to take this to, to law enforcement, one of us should, I just, I, I can't, it just doesn't sit well with me. The fact that they let this happen for as long as they did. I mean, there are players who are still in the league, still in the Blackhawks technically that were on that 2010 team 
that did absolutely nothing about it. I mean, it just, this isn't sitting well with me at all. And I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, truly. I mean, let's hear, I mean, what do you guys think about it? The fact that, I mean, just the fact that all this was going on, people knew about it and it was just an in-house secret between 50 and 60 people, pretty much. What do you guys think? Um, if I could jump in, I'm, uh, I'm disgusted, not just by what happened. I, I, I think one of the things that's left out your bullet points are too, is that he was actually convicted and did jail time, yeah. uh, for touching, uh, for inappropriate contact with a minor, um, a 17 year old high school hockey player. Yeah, that happened. Um, and, and <laughs> more to say, I think he only did like nine months or something along those lines. Um, this guy, this guy, and anybody involved with what happened to these kids who were in in a world where you know it's not easy to come forward and admit that something happened to you, were strong enough to come to a coach and say, "Hey, this happened to me." And when said coach brought it to management and requested to go to the police, they were turned away, which I believe how it all went down. I think they were there was a, a meeting. Uh, behind closed doors meeting with Stan Bowman amongst other management ownership where they said they rejected the request to go to police. Uh, they valued building a championship hockey team and the, and, and the image that they were portraying in Chicago more so than the well-being, not just physically, but mentally of their players because anybody who's been through um, what they went through knows that, you know, it's not something you just get over overnight uh, after a year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, it sticks with you for the rest of your life. And your life is never the same ever, like ever. And um, to, to, to value that over the well-being of those players is disgusting. And um, like you said, anybody involved needs to be banned, has needs to roll. Draft picks need to be lost in the long term. There, there's a lot that needs to happen to the Chicago Blackhawks and anyone involved with that organization. I forget who it was with the LA Clippers. Uh, he said, you know, he said some racist remarks into a, a microphone and he is forced to sell the team. That should be the same situation here. You, you, nobody, including ownership, should be allowed to be in the NHL or in hockey anymore if they put winning in front of the well-being of their players and allowed a pedophile, a rapist, a, a, a sexual deviant to stay within their organization and then not even that write a glowing letter of recommendation for them for further employment on a Chicago Blackhawks letterhead where he then was convicted because he went on to go abuse more victims and the fact that this isn't leading headlines and all I saw from the NHL today was tweet about record you know attendance in tonight's game the expected attendance and TV ratings, and that is the prerogative right now. And even in his in today in his uh, state of the league address, in his opening statements, not at one point in Batman's opening statements did he even the attempt to talk about the situation in Chicago. He didn't talk about it until it was brought up during questions, and, and it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And the NHL they've already lost the NHL and Chicago. They've already lost the fact that they're waiting for an independent investigation to be done by a firm that was hired by the black, that was brought in by the Blackhawks. It doesn't matter if they, does not matter if they have no ties to the, to the organization or anyone involved. It doesn't matter. They were, they're investigating the team that brought them in. If you think there's going to be one, a hundred percent transparency, or if you think there's going to be, there's going to be nothing misleading, you are blind and dumb because if there's anything this league cares about, it's money. They're they're more worried about the sponsorships they just signed with Ted Turner TV and ESPN and all the money that's going to be rolling for that before they could ever possibly put these players' lives and their futures and what they've been through before any of that. And it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. You've seen how the way the league is handled, you know, from a from, from a diversity standpoint in the past, going back to guys like Akeem Alou, how the league handled that. You know, it's 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 a, one of the many reasons why it'll never be taken seriously in terms of professional sports, and nobody takes it seriously. It sucks um, because all they had to do was get in front of this and say something and launch their own investigation into the Blackhawks. Maybe get the FBI involved. I don't know what they could have done, but they lost, and it's disgusting, man. Because 
you know, these kids' lives. It, the, the victims that this guy had after he left the organization, that's on Chicago because they could have had it handled right then and there, and they chose not to do it. They chose to put teams and championships before anything else, and they didn't want to. They didn't want to put a black eye on their own organization or have have their, their their team spotlighted in a negative way. And it's disgusting, and it makes me not even want to watch the finals. To be quite honest with you, that was all well said, Dwayne. And I just want to read another quote I saw here from uh, Jesse Blake, who's on the Steve Dangle podcast. He said, "I'm incredibly disappointed in the media on this reporting on this story." This should be talked about on CNN. The Chicago Blackhawks are a billion-dollar company, and you have a cover-up of sexual assault on professional athletes. I mean, and you kind of meant, brought it along, too, with the, like, the whole Akima Aliu situation. Obviously, this is nothing new. You know, this whole thing about the NHL, and the NHL has this culture of, you know, what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. That needs to end, honestly. I mean, this is, this is something that has gone – this is it's just so extreme. I mean, this whole keeping things in-house needs to just stop. There are certain things that you can't let slide. This wasn't a disagreement between a player and a coach. This wasn't like a fight in the locker room. This was a sexual assault, for God's sake. This, is, this, this can't keep happening. You can't keep allowing this stuff to happen. You can't allow people to be abused behind closed doors and then, oh, 10 years down the road, no, now we finally found out about it. It's too late at that point. Like, that needs to change ASAP, this whole, you know, like I said, this whole what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room thing needs to end. It should have ended yesterday, truth be told. This is absolutely ridiculous. It's just, uh, like I said, it needs to end. There's Everything more needs to check themselves in this situation, whether it be the Blackhawks, the National Hockey League, players and management affiliated with these franchises and all their associations. This, this all needs to end ASAP, honestly. Enough's enough. Stuff like this. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I just want to touch quickly. Like, we're getting to a point now where the Blackhawks organization might be the worst organization in pro sports. I know people say a lot about the Washington football organization, but, um, like, we're talking, they covered up blatant sexual assault and, like, racial discrimination against the player for a decade. You know, people need to remember – the Akeem Aloof thing happened when he was in Rockford, uh, the uh, Chicago AHL affiliate. And, you know, that, that doesn't even touch on everything that happened with Patrick Kane after they won the Cups. You know, Patrick Sharp as well, um, allegedly sleeping with teammates' wives. Like, there's so much that's gone on with this organization during their Cup window alone that um, is just disgraceful. It, it's just absolutely disgusting that these type of human beings were able to be kept under wraps like this for, for decades just simply because they were good at their jobs and were capable of playing championship-level hockey, you know? I mean, you think about it back to, like, like high school-level sports and things like that, like, where they'll bench kids for, like, doing something wrong at school or whatever. And like people get upset, but like really, that's what it, that's what it boils down to, you know. Being a good person, being a good man, being a good individual has to be above winning, and um, you know, above like status. Just a shame too, because I actually really like the Blackhawks. Like now, this is all happening. I'm like, well, there goes that. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, re- I really did like the Blackhawks a lot, and it. I mean, y'all said it multiple times winning should not be put above basic human decency, basic human rights. Like, that's so fucked up. <laughs> every guy needs to be checked on it first and foremost. And yeah. I mean, every guy should be held accountable for that. If I'm, you know, if, if when, the, when players return from you know wherever to do their preseason camps or whatever they do. The first question I'm asking you, Jonathan Taylor or Patrick Kane, is why did you guys not say anything for 11 years? Why did you know this was going on and let this happen? You know, they're just as accountable as Stan Bowman and his management group. They really are. You know, it's not like this is a, you know, this was this happened on like a, on like a high school or a junior team where these guys may be scared to come out and say something and fear that they might lose something. They're professional athletes. They're grown men. 
They're making millions of dollars. They're the ones who have the power to say something and make a difference. And the fact that you don't do anything about it is just sickening to me. But yeah, I just, I've, I've, I've said all I can about this situation, so. Yeah, I think I have too. Does anybody have anything else to add? No, I, I agree. And, and personally, I, I don't know as much as you want to put some of the onus on the players for not saying anything at the same time. They probably did see what was done or actually better yet, not done once, uh, when, when it was brought to ownership's attention. Uh, it's probably out of fear for your job probably out of fear, which, I mean, I do blame them, but I don't, it's, it's a difficult situation to be put into. Um, you would hope that your teammates would have your back there and maybe they did to a certain respect. I don't know, but you know, obviously, you know, money, money for these teams is the end all be all. And when it comes to winning championships, which, which, which is what I think what Chicago won three, um, you know, that's always in, in many people's minds going to, overshadow and make people forget about what's more important. Like you said, just a common human decency. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, guys, anything else? Dwayne, you got anything coming up? Nope, anything nope. I, you appreciate you guys, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, we really appreciate you for coming on. Um, this was a lot of fun. We're able to talk about a lot of different stuff and, you know, we'd, we'd, be, uh, we'd be really happy to have you on in the future if you're able to. Absolutely. Just let me know, guys. Awesome. Thanks, man. No problem. All right, guys. This was another episode of For Checking TV. Um, you can find us on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts from. For, my, for myself, Doug Lackey, my uh, co-hosts, Trevin T.K. Catellis and Nolan Scotty Porterfield and Peyton Trollinger. I uh, thank you guys for watching and have a great night.